0: Hello, this is message number 25 in the Sermon on the Mount series from Bethel Baptist Church. Today, May 10th, we will look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 16 through 20 with Pastor Cox. This morning, we are going to continue our study in um, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, as we do that, uh, we are going to be taking a look at beware... Of false prophets, and, and, and basically that's part two of our uh, message this morning. Uh, beware of false prophets from Matthew chapter uh, 7, verses 16 through 20. So as, as we started last week, I start the same way. After giving the invitation to enter by the narrow gate, to come to God in the only way that He has provided Jesus warns that not everyone who claims to belong to God or speak for God actually does. When we stand at the crossroads of decision, we should remember that the true way to God is a narrow road and that the false way is broad. The true way is difficult and demanding, and the false way is easy. It's permissive. The true way has relatively few following it, and the false way seems to just have many. Jesus is now saying, in effect, as you strive to enter that narrow gate and to walk that narrow way that leads to life, beware of those who would be misleading you. Just as there is a misleading gate and a misleading way, there are also misleading preachers and teachers who point the way to that gate and promote that way. Just like the false gate and, and why they claim to show the way to heaven and to life, but they actually show the way to hell and destruction. The false gate has false prophets standing in front of it who are more than willing to lead people into that false way. So here's our big idea this morning. It's simply this. Every believer must beware of those who would lead them astray, off of the narrow path. After receiving the warning we received last week about the false prophets, Jesus now tells us that we are to watch for what we are to watch for in identifying them. Because they are so extremely deceptive and dangerous, as ravenous spiritual and moral wolves in sheep's clothing, the Lord would not have left us without the means of determining whom they are. So, we begin this morning by looking at this idea of watching for false prophets. Take your Bibles with me if you would. You're in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 16. Follow along as I'll be reading you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. The good tree cannot produce good fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree That does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruit. I find it very interesting that Jesus bookends this portion of Scripture with these two statements We will know them by their fruits. Fruit trees may be beautiful, they may be decorative. They may offer pleasant shade in the summertime, but the primary purpose of a fruit tree is to bear fruit, and it's therefore judged by what kind of fruit it produces, not by how it looks, and this is really a key to understanding John chapter 15. I'm not going to take time to go back there and work through that passage as well, but just Take some time today, look at John chapter 15. Now, a prophet, one who uh, is used in this passage in the broadest sense of the term speaking for God, is judged by his life, not simply by his appearance or by his words. The kind of person he really is cannot help but be revealed. Some false prophets uh, are noticeably, no, let me try this again, noticeably, got it, okay? They're noticeably bogus or fake, and only the most gullible person could be taken in by them. Others, however, will conceal their true nature and remarkable skill, and only careful observation will expose them for what? and who they are. There is a true assurance in the statement, you will know them. There is no need to be deceived if we look closely. For it is possible for a genuine Christian to be taken in by false prophets. It's easy sometimes for us to be drawn away. When believers are careless about study and obedience to God's Word, when believers are lazy about prayer, they're uncritical about the things of God, it's easy for them to be deceived by someone who pretends to be orthodox. Especially if that false preacher or that false teacher is pleasant, positive, permissive. Satan loves to use his own people to promote his evil work, seeking if it were possible to even snatch them from their heavenly Father. If you're not sure about that, go to Matthew chapter 24 24, Matthew chapter 24, verse 24, and check that out. Judging the fruit of a false prophet, of course, is not as easy to do as judging fruit in an orchard. It's pretty easy if we're in an orchard, okay? Not a rocket scientist, but I know this apple, orange, lemon. I can figure that out, okay? Not so easy the other way around. But from scripture, I believe we're able to discover three primary tests that we can apply in order to know we're making right choices and right decisions. The three areas that we're going to look at this morning are character, creed, and converts. Converts, okay? Character, creed, and converts. A person's basic characters, his intermotives, standards, loyalties attitudes, ambitions will eventually show through in what they do and how they act. John the Baptist told the hypocritical Pharisees and the Sadducees who came to be baptized by him to first bring forth fruits that keep in manner with repentance, Luke chapter 3. Their manner of living contradicted the claim that they loved and served God. When the multitude asked John what good fruit was, he responded, Let the man who has two tunics share with him that has none. Let the man who has food do likewise. Verse 11. To the tax collectors who asked what they should do, John said, Collect no more than what you've been ordered to do. Verse 13. John was saying that a person who genuinely repented and truly trusts and loves God also loves and helps his fellow man. Understand, no person is saved by good works, but every person is saved for good works. Ephesians chapter 10, or <laughs> 10. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So again, no person is saved by good works, but every person is saved for good works. As with everything that is godly and righteous and true fruit bearing, it begins on the inside. It begins in the heart. Paul speaks as having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ, Philippians chapter 1. A person who belongs to Jesus Christ, who is called by God, is is given the message of God, will give evidence of good fruit both in attitude and action. A person who claims or who does not belong to God, especially a false prophet who claims to be God's messenger, will sooner or later manifest bad fruit of the bad tree of the sensual life that it inevitably produces. False prophets can disguise and hide their bad fruit for a while in all kinds of churchy trappings. They can do it in biblical knowledge, they can do it in evangelical, churchy vocabulary. They can cover it by belonging to Christian organizations, associating with Christian leaders, by talking about divine things, heavenly things. But how they talk, how they act, and how they react when not in the view of other Christians will expose them for their true loyalty, their true convictions. What is in the heart will emerge. It has to emerge. Apply the pressure of everyday life, and it'll eventually come forth. What is in their heart will emerge, and it, 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 it's all part of their corrupt life. False teaching and perverted living are inseparable, and it will eventually become Manifest. It's nearly always the case, though, that false prophets will attract avowed unbelievers as well as nominal, and I mean that by in name only, and carnal believers. False prophets appeal to the natural man and carefully avoids being anything that would would seem to be offensive to man's proud, fallen nature. The false prophet makes a point of being attractive and likable and not being offensive to anybody. But no person, no matter how clever, how deceitful, can indefinitely hide that rotten character that's out of tune with God. John Calvin said this. He said, nothing is more difficult to counterfeit than virtue. Let that just kind of ramble around in your head for a little bit. Nothing is more difficult to counterfeit than virtue. It demands far too much. It demands more than any person has to give of himself. And when God's divine provision and power are absent, that charade cannot endure for the long haul. The second area in which a false prophet can be judged is that of the area of doctrine or creed. Superficially, what the false prophet teacher communicates seems to be, seems to be biblical, seems to be orthodox. But be careful. A, a careful examination will always reveal ideas that are unscriptural. Unscriptural in the absence of strong, clear theology. False ideas will be taught, or at least important truths will be omitted. Remember, last week we talked about it's not so much of what they say, what false teachers say, it's about what they don't say, what they just ignore. And that's the same idea here. Frequently, what you find is there's kind of this combination platter of both. And it's, it's really just kind of a congealed mess, is what you end up with. Eventually, the fruit that Jesus is talking about here will show a tree for what it is. Because a good tree cannot produce bad fruit and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. When Judging whether or not teaching is from God, listen to the counsel of Isaiah. He says, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn or no light. They have no light within them. The teaching of a false prophet cannot withstand scrutiny under the divine light of Scripture. You think about, I'm probably going to get in trouble here, but you think about those teachers that are out there, out, out there, okay? You think about that, and you think about applying the crystal clear theology of God's word, it cannot, cannot, will not hold up under that kind of scrutiny. It just can't. If all of these false prophets have an incomplete, distorted, perverted view of Christ, if Satan can confess, confuse rather, and mislead people about the person and work of Jesus Christ, he has confused and misled them at the very heart of the gospel. Jesus has just shown the way of salvation, the gate, the, the gate that's open to the God's kingdom and life, the narrow and demanding. Whereas the gate to hell and destruction is broad. We saw that in, in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. At the heart of the gospel, immediately Jesus begins to warn about false prophets and how to identify them. Guys, look at look at the way this works, okay? You start out, Jesus saying, there's a narrow way that leads to God. The broad way leads to destruction and hell. Got that? Then he says, look out for false prophets. Here's a warning. Be watching for them. You ready for the next part? Because next Sunday, we're going to start out with, well, Lord, Lord we did this in your name, and Lord, Lord, we did that in your name, and do you see the progression? You see how that works? I'm here to tell you, God's Word is absolutely incredible. How it all fits together. It's an amazing thing. The heart of the gospel, immediately, Jesus gives the heart of the gospel and immediately begins to warn about false prophets, how to identify them, and some of the goofy things that believers say. The creed of the false prophet has a narrow gate or a narrow way. On the surface, the message sounds difficult and demanding, but it's always at the foundation of man's work will therefore be accomplished by man's own effort. It it, it just gives the wrong idea, the wrong attitude. They never reveal the depth of the danger and the depravity of sin, the need for repentance and forgiveness and submission to Jesus, or the destiny of judgment, condemnation, eternal destruction for those who refuse to listen. There is no brokenness. Over sin, no longing after righteousness. They have easy answers for the small stuff, but there's no humility, there's no warning for judgment. Listen to me carefully. There is no call to repentance. There's no call to repentance, or for a contrite heart of true obedience. They have a ready hearing among most people because they say only what people like to hear. They want to hear illusions, not truth. They're enamored by pleasure and fantasy and resent being confronted with anything that is disquieting, upsetting, or in any way condemning to others. They want to be an encouragement. They want encouragement but not correction. Positive words, not negative. They will accept grace as long as it's cheap grace, and it doesn't really affect their own sinfulness, inadequacies, or lostness. The creed of the false prophet, if he has any at all, will be vague, indefinite, in, in, indefinite, and fragile. No demanding truth will be absolute. It won't be clear cut. Every principle has to be easy and attractive. False prophets talk much about the love of God. You ever heard that? What about God's holiness? Ooh, that might be just a little bit different story, right? Much about people who are are deprived, but nothing about those that are depraved in their minds. Much about God's universal fatherhood of every human being, but nothing about His unique fatherhood, where we cry out to Him, Abba, Father. Father. The bottom line is that their message is a message of gaps. The greatest gap of which leaves out the truth that saves. False prophets can also be identified by their converts. Those who are their followers. They will attract themselves to people who have the same superficial, self-centered, unscriptural orientation as they do. Peter says this, Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. They have many followers because they teach and promote what the majority wants to hear and what the majority wants to believe, what the majority wants to run after. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting... To have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers according to their own desires. Their followers will be like them. Egotistical, proud, self-centered, self-indulgent, self-willed, self-satisfying. All while being putting on, if you will, an air of religiosity. They're self-centered, feelings-oriented. Group-oriented, but never God-oriented, never Scripture-oriented, never Christ-centric, if you will. God has not ordained false prophets, but he has ordained or at least allowed them to exist. Paul explains to the church at Corinth, this is, this is such a, an incredible passage in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Listen, this, it says, There must also be fractions among you that those who are approved may become evident to you. These false fractions act as magnets to to attract others who are false to the same way. In the indirect way, they help protect true believers because it's partially separating the chaff from the wheat. But true believers, who are carnal and worldly, can also be attracted and corrupted and become becoming like grapes on thorn bushes or figs on thistles. Generally speaking, false prophets attract false believers. And in that way, act as sort of a negative protection, if you will, against the church, a protection for the true church. False prophets and their false followers do not receive the love of the truth as also to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false in order that they might judge who does not believe the truth but look in pleasure on wickedness. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Ultimately, God makes sure that every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You can compare that with John chapter 15, verse 2 and verse 6. Peter says, such shepherds are... Bringing swift destruction upon themselves. So let me kind of put a wrap on this. The Lord closes this potent section of Scripture with affirming repetition of verse 16 You will know them by their fruits. And thus, once again, we are called to be discerning. When listening to preachers, when reading Christian literature, we need to put on our thinking, critical thinking skills, critical th- listening skills. Listening to preachers who call us to the broad way that leads to death and to hell. We began this morning with this big idea of every believer must be aware of those who would lead them astray off of the narrow path. We focus this morning on the warning that Jesus gives us about false teachers. We notice the character, the creed, and the converts of these false teachers. So let me return again to where we concluded last Sunday's message with what I think is is a fairly penetrating question. Did my decision for Christ change my life? Did my decision for Christ change my life? And here again, this, this is kind of what my thought is. False prophets who teach false doctrine can only produce false righteousness. The true fruit of their ministry is false, and it cannot last. The prophets themselves are false. The closer we get to them, we move to danger and and put ourselves in that. They magnify themselves, not Jesus, and their purpose is to exploit people and never to edify them. So let me ask you this question this morning. Because this, I, I think this kind of gets to the, to the crux of the matter. Do you have a distinctive Christian way of thinking? Do you have a distinctly Christian way of thinking? In other words, if there is a problem to solve, a plan to develop, a priority to set, or a decision to make, do you think about God first? Do you think about the four goals. Do you think from a Christian worldview, is your mind drawn first and foremost to the things of God? Or would we say, oh, I, I can't handle that. I got this. Do you see all of your life from a Christian point of view, a Christian perspective? Even more than that, let let me change it, okay? When there's a problem to solve, a plan to develop, a priority to set, a decision to make, do you think biblically? That's perhaps the better word. Do you have a biblical worldview? Do you see all of your life from a biblical point of view, from a biblical perspective? The person who believes false doctrine, who follows a false prophet, will never experience a changed life. And sadly, some people don't realize that until it's too late. Father, this morning, we come before you, and as we bring this message, there is no other way to look at this portion of Scripture And to see, even from last week to this week, that this demands a decision. It demands a change. This this idea of easy believism is not the narrow road. And we need this morning to search our hearts and to know that we are walking with the Lord, to know that we have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and that we are developing a relationship with God through Jesus and that that life ought to radically impact the decisions that we make, and the views that we take. Father, this morning, would you do a work in us? Would you please not leave us to our own devices? Burden our hearts for the biblical God-honoring change that needs to be made in lives. In all things, God, we ask that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.